All right, so today we have a special guest with us. I'm so excited. You know, this year, like really a big focus of this year for the church is Kingdom Builders. We just want to kind of go to the next level with our giving uh, because we just really believe that, that where our, our treasures, there our heart is also, right? So it helps us to transform as we give, but also we just believe that, that Jesus has called us. There's a mandate to care about the least of these and, and to use our resources to, uh, to help push back darkness all around the world and as we set that goal of $100,000 for Kingdom Builders, I knew I needed some help in getting us there. So I called some of the people I'd heard of that are just great speakers for Kingdom Builders for missions. And Jeff was at the top of the list. Uh, he uh, comes from Convoy of Hope. He's the regional director of network relations with Convoy of Hope. And, and, and Convoy of Hope is one of our primary Kingdom Builders partners. It, it, it actually is the single organization that gets the most funds from us. And, and it has served over 200 million people and currently is feeding 533,000 children in 39 nations every school day. Okay, that's a lot of kids, right? And, and for 29 years, Convoy has worked with churches, businesses, government agencies, and other nonprofits to provide help uh, to those in need. And they've received the Charity Navigator's four-star rating, which is the highest rating you can get for 20 consecutive years. And they consistently receive national attention uh, for their response specifically to natural disasters. Like, I'm pretty sure I've heard the Jonas Brothers talk about Convoy of Hope before. Side note. Anyway, so, so Jeff, I'm pretty sure that's true, but Jeff has, has traveled nationally and internationally communicating the hope we have in Christ and the impact of Convoy Hope around the world. He also served in local church pastoral ministry for 24 years. I know when we talked on the phone for the first time, we talked a lot about just local church ministry because that's his background. And then he's been on the team at Convoy for 13 years now. So I was so excited when he said he'd come. So I'm gonna invite him now. And if you could just give him a huge round of applause as he comes, that'd be awesome. Turn that on. Good morning. Hey, it's so good to be with you guys. So cool to be with you. Pastor Daniel and Emily, thank you for the invite today. Thanks for uh, running me down. And uh, this weekend was one of the few weekends that I just kind of reserved and said, Lord, you know, just do whatever you want. Like the next day, your pastor's calling me, booked. I'm coming to where my Cedar Falls. I'm, I landed at Cedar Rapids last night at 9.15 or so out of Chicago. I mean, they don't even get the plane up before they take the plane down from Chicago. But I just want to say it's so good to be with you today. I'm honored to be with you. Thank you for, um, I, I just love what Jesus is doing in this place. And I, I meant that when we, I came to the prayer time this morning and talked to some of the volunteers and the dream team. Um, the, my last church that we pastored, our staff, we had to park far away from the building to walk up. And it just reminded me of that missionary volunteer staff walk going up, freeing up the good parking spaces for your guests that are going to come to the facility. Amen? All right, so keep making Jesus famous and make it super hard to go to hell from this city. If you're going to go to hell, you have to move. So Black Hawk County, you guys are dangerous because there's a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in this place. And uh, that, you know, the enemy doesn't just lay down when you start preaching the cross and preaching Jesus, teaching the word, welcoming the spirit, getting lives all restored. He doesn't lay down. But I just sensed something when I came in, not only the whiff of great coffee and the presence of Jesus. This coffee, by the way, will wake the neighbors because I, it's my second cup now and um, it's illegal, should be. But... um. Honestly, Convoy is uh, so honored to be one of your partners, and I really mean that. So many of you, you've taken a day out of your life, 
and given one 240th of your working year, which basically we call one day to feed the world, wherever you're at on the earnings scale. He said, you don't understand. I'm just a poor college student. I've got a great poor college student that I'm going to be sharing at the end of my message. But I was just in Des Moines, and I was in Sacramento two weeks ago, and everybody is able to jump on and do something. No matter where you're at, you can calculate and say, God, I'm just going to do my best to reach out to the least, the last, and the lost with this offering. And that's what it does. So today, the stories that I'm going to tell you, the videos that you're going to watch are all the direct result of one day. So I just hope you uh, sit back, buckle up, and uh, enjoy kind of what you hear, but also absorb what you hear to say, I can do this. When you walk out of here today, you'll be able to say, I can do that. And I can live for Jesus. I can be more kind. I can show compassion to those around you. So check out this video about Convoy's ministry around the world. Prepare for mass evacuation. Devastated the region. Look at the world. Online, in the news, on your drive home from work, you see it. People are suffering. They're doing their best, but it doesn't seem to matter. They feel completely alone, asking, how am I ever going to make it? Is there anyone out there who cares about me? We say yes. At the heart of Convoy of Hope's work is our driving passion to use kindness as a force for change. We are the volunteer delivering relief after a disaster. We are the haircut or fresh pair of shoes. We are the multitude of people who care about their neighbor and want to do something meaningful that may just impact another person's eternity. So look at the world again. Really look at it. Through the hardship and despair and hurting is a hope that is waiting, demanding to burst forth. And it's not complicated. We believe that the problems that are plaguing the world can begin to be solved one small act of kindness at a time. Every meal served, every seed planted, and every smile sincerely given adds to the revolution of compassion we are so proud to be a part of. So look at the world one more time. The problems are big, no doubt, but the solution, oh, it's beautifully simple. And you, you're a part of it. So Convoy of Hope was started 29 years ago back of a pickup truck, three brothers, their sister were handing out groceries at a little town in Northern California, a community that reached out to these children on the week and the day and the year that their pastor and dad died in a head-on car accident. Hal Donaldson and his siblings uh, were immediately forced to live with some neighbors. Uh, their mom and dad were in a head-on car collision with a drunk driver traveling in the opposite uh, lane at a high rate of speed, killed his dad instantly, and that was the summer of 69. Hal was uh, 12 years old at the time, our current president and CEO. And so from that moment on, they just uh, got adopted by this family, partially raised them. They lived in a mobile home for 10 people for a year. And God just began to plant seeds in the kid's heart about giving back. Like these people would show up, there'd be groceries showing up on the front porch. A member of their church would take them tennis shoe shopping, you know, Kenny shoes, not the $5 bin, but the $3 bin. Now you can't even buy laces for $5. It was those days when God began to plant the seeds. Through this disaster, the seeds of convoy were planted. So they all grow up. Fast forward. They go back to this community, and they just start handing out some groceries, saying, thank you for helping us in our time of need. It felt so good, they did it again. Convoy of Hope was started on a what if Jesus would take food 
clean water and access to supplies that people need, both here in our country and developing nations, and to bless people and give them dignity and hope. Well, guess what? Matthew 25 is in there before Matthew 28. Matthew 25 says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to who? Jesus. And then Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So at Convoy, we're constantly demonstrating the good news and sharing the good news. So uh, here is my tribe. This is why I do what I do, just a real introduction so you know I'm a real human being. Um, And I just don't stand up and have a microphone in front of me and and speak and stuff. I do life. I've got neighbors. I've got a small group. I have a home church. I have a pastor. Um, But this is my tribe. So I have three beautiful daughters. Um, Two of them graduates of North Central. And the other ones, the middle one's the nurse. She just got her RN. She's on her way to go get another degree. My wife next to me, I got three granddaughters. Pray for me. I own the support group for Papa dad, girl, and, and dad, or girl, papa, and girl, dad. But uh, I've got, the only way I get two son-in-laws is they go get married. Okay, these are the first of two grandbabies. So Wilder on the left, Hadley on the right, and introducing the newest little CEO of the family. Her name is Molly. And Molly Jewel is like the boss, and she's that tall. And I was just with her this weekend. We ate fries and ice cream yesterday, and she said, more fries. And I'm like, I will bury you in fries. I just had bags of fries and ice cream. And then their mom gets home from a meeting where they were. And it's like my daughter. She's like, what did you guys do? And it's like, I got to go. See ya. <laughs> they were all sugared up, cranked up, running through the house. She texted me, what did you do to the girl's dad? So anyway, um, I love being a papa. I loved being a dad. But I'll tell you. Uh, raising godly kids in this world, is it's a different game now. It really is. Biblical worldview mattered then, and it really matters now. And so, uh, so we feed lots of kids, train farmers, empower women and girls. We respond to disasters around the world, again, demonstrating and then presenting the good news in Jesus' name. So here's just a couple of high points before we get to those turkey earthquake video, uh, uh, pictures. We're responding to disasters on three continents. Uh, We are responding currently in the U.S. and Oklahoma, Arkansas, Illinois, Iowa, Mississippi, tornadoes that rip through many of these communities. We're in Turkey and Syria. The death toll is well over uh, 60,000 now. Injuries from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria are climbing. We've served more than a million and a half meals to people affected by these earthquakes. We're working with uh, local churches and, of course, the governments in those countries Um, Now on to Ukraine. So a year ago, two months ago, 14 months ago now, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. As the war in Ukraine enters nearly its 14-month, people around the world are still invested in this uh, disaster. Over 8 million Ukrainians fled to neighboring countries in uh, the last 12 to 13 months. Nearly half the population, over 7 million, are displaced in country. And of those refugees taking shelter... Most are women and children. Many Ukrainian men stayed back to fight or assist and protect their property. So God is working in Ukraine. As churches are doing distribution with resources, they're demonstrating God's love to those around them. And there's a lot of brokenness, but there's also a lot of good things happening there spiritually. At Convoy of Hope, we pray for three things every day. We pray for strong and powerful churches. 
We pray for government of, by, and for the people, and we pray for a free market economy. Every country that we go into, we pray that prayer. We say, God, every place our feet land, may people know that they are beautifully and wonderfully and fearfully made, and that you made them to be productive and to live with purpose every day. Amen? Can you, do you believe today that God, this, this blew me away, you guys. So in the last few months, I've been talking to our missiologists and our team and some of our, in fact, I was on a plane to Chicago with a, a team going to Poland. Warsaw, Poland is where our main base of operations, but we're in 12 Eastern European countries doing distribution. Here's what's interesting. Uh, there are no major refugee camps, so people are welcoming other souls and people into their homes, churches, businesses, places of residence, community center. So just picture this with me. A week after the war started, you had Ukrainians fleeing to the border nation, and specifically Poland, which was the easiest and most populous place to get good services and protection. So off in the horizon, you would see a mom walking with her son carrying a baby and a satchel, no animals. They left everything behind, something on their back, and the burden of walking for days and days and days, only to be met at the border by Polish families who had their carts and buggies and horses and vans and mopeds waiting for these people to come across the border, and they just didn't say, hey, yeah, go get in line and hopefully get some hot soup and some food. They took them into their home. They picked them up. Props to the Polish. Poland is 1% Christian, but God in his sovereignty sends 7 million Ukrainians, and Ukraine is 38% Christian, and most of these Christians are fire-breathing uh, Pentecostal, Bible-believing Christians, so the Polish just opened their home to the gospel. That's what they did. And God can take what is awful and evil and, and convert and transform that. You take one of the most evangelized nations under attack in Eastern Europe, moving to the least evangelized nation as refugees, not as refugees, but as bearers of the gospel. And so Jesus makes all of that happen. So we're really, really thankful for that. It's still awful. Pray for uh, those in harm's way. And uh, of course, hey, listen, we are serving in Russia, you guys. So before you think, I've been to Russia several times in Moscow and Red Army City and, and Perm and, and Kiev, um, Ukraine, and I will just say we love uh, Russians, we love Ukrainians. We're serving Ukrainians in communities in Russia, okay? That's how, that's how interesting this gets. So we partner with the local church around the world. God's got people everywhere. And so our job is to resource them to make Jesus famous in their community, in their nation. We don't care if they know our name, but we do care that they remember the name of Jesus. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. All right, so we're going to transition. Here's a story about a little dude named Kevin.
So Kevin is one of the 533,000 kids in 37 countries that we serve every school day, the only hot meal that they'll receive. You say, well, what are you serving them? All kinds of good foods, different foods. But one of the primary baseline foods is a manna pack uh, feed, from Feed My Starving Children, Meals, uh, Kids Against Hunger, and, of course, Meals from the Heartland right here in Clive, Iowa. We're one of their number one, they are one of our number one providers for the micronutrients that kids need to develop early on in, the, in life. And so not only are we seeing uh, more and different foods being introduced into the program, but one of them is micronutrients. Kids need it. They need the proteins. They need the multivitamins. So we're on that, helping them develop in all of these countries. And our driving passion really is for children all over the world to have food, access to clean water, a bright future, and most importantly, a chance to hear about Jesus. So it's an injustice to die when you don't have enough food or something or clean water to drink. It's a double injustice to die without hearing about Jesus. Can I get an amen? And we're trying to stamp out both of those things, extreme poverty and dealing with that, and then dealing with the spiritual bankruptcy of our world and the darkness that prevails in so many of these places that we go. One day to feed the world, personally, now I'm, I'm just going to tell you as a pastor and now as a team member at Convoy, I love one day because one day gives to the general bucket at Convoy. So you help us go to disasters, you help us feed kids, you help us train farmers, you help us empower women and girls, and you help us partner other ministries with resources that they need. So one day is kind of like that general fund giving, and then all year long you can say, after your one day offering, you can say, hey, we prayed it and paid it forward because Convoy's there, and remember that one day offering? So you can still give to Convoy, but this is a lot that we ask of people. It really is a commitment. Uh, to step up and be part of that. So my wife and I do one day every year. She's a social worker, credentialed minister. She's a servant in Caesar's household. She's amazing, seriously married up. She's also a psychologist. And uh, she goes to work and puts her one day sticker on. And people are like, hey, what's one day? So she gets to tell them about one day. And then I work for Convoy of Hope. I wear my sticker to my office at Convoy of Hope because other people are like, cool, Anderson, you're a psycho, you know. <laughs> Just, it's like, no, I can't ask people to do something I'm unwilling or have not done, right? So I do it. I love it. I've never regretted, regretted giving a one-day offering. In fact, I love the song that we sang. It's like, man, when we see Jesus face-to-face, -face, it's like we wish we could have given more. You know, that really is true when it comes to uh, partnering with God's heart in missions and compassion. Well, here's some of the beautiful kids that we serve um, I will just tell you that uh, some of these kids, and I hate turning my back to you, so uh, I, I don't want to do that, but I think you're seeing, yes, stop on that picture. So this is the Good Samaritan Orphanage in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I was there with a team of pastors, and I just got to tell you that this, this is a great story, because I, I took this with my phone up against the wall. The kids stood, nobody touched a bean or a speck of rice. They all stood, and the little dude right there in the middle is the one that's praying. Well, this was his prayer in Haitian Creole. Dear Jesus, thank you for the food. Dear Jesus, help Convoy of Hope to keep bringing the food. Amen. And they sat down. I kid you not. And, and I asked the admin, I'm asking the 
the mom there, the, and I said, hey, what'd, she, what'd he say? And like when she told us what he prayed, there was not one pastor with dry eyes leaning up against the wall. And then they sat down, and it was that holy hush. You know that moment when you're just hungry, and it's like, it's time to shut up and eat. <laughs> and all you could hear was the scraping of forks and spoons on little plastic trays. There was not a bean or a piece of rice left. They got up orderly fashion, put it in the little container, put their spoon in the cup to be washed, and then they go over to the water purification system and they just giggle like kids would around water and they're just filling up their little bottles and canteens with clean water. And they're putting their lids on and they, they go out to recess. I asked the school administrator, I said, hey, how's it going? They said, well, a year ago at 10 o'clock, the kids took a nap and slobbered all over the desk because they were sickly and weak and didn't have energy to go play on the playground. And I said, how's it going now? They said, it's going too good. <laughs> That's what they said. In, in their language, they said, it's going too good. And I said, why is it going too good? He said, our kids fight now. <laughs> I'm not kidding you guys, you can't make this up. And I'm like, food and energy and nutrition and life the way it should be. Mark Buntain said this on his way to India in 1955. An empty stomach has no ears. And he learned in India, in Calcutta specifically, that you can't just pop up under a, a big, beautiful tree in India and just open up the book of John and start teaching the scriptures in hopes that people will get saved and all their needs will be met. Guess what? They can't listen when their heads are pounding, their bodies are aching, because they don't have something good to eat. It's, it's a very real thing. They need sustenance. You need something good to eat. And then Mark Buntain also said this, where you live should not determine if you live. And right now, what we're seeing unfold in the Sudan, what we're seeing unfold in the Sahel, what we're seeing unfold in Eastern Europe, what we're seeing unfold in many of these vulnerable countries right now. I was recently in Nicaragua, and a mom came up to me, and she said, thanks for feeding our kids. And I said, you're so welcome. But I said, don't thank me. Thank the churches in America. She grabbed my shirt, very not appropriate, not even the custom there. She grabbed my shirt and held me. She goes, then you thank them for me. And I said, yes, ma'am. So from Angelica, <laughs> thank you, because <laughs> I'm going to see her again and I have to answer her. But she, this is what she said. She said, thank you for feeding our kids. We don't want you to feed our grandkids. And Convoy of Hope taught me a word. I said, what was that word? She said, tomorrow. I never thought about tomorrow. She said, we thought about today. Hustling today. Eating today. Breathing today. Hopefully clean water today. But she said, convoy has enabled me to think about tomorrow. And man, it moved me. I went back to the bus and wept my eyes out and said, God, oh, I'll do this forever. Because if it's serving Angelica's and her two little boys, then it's all worth it. It's worth it because we made a difference for her. Timothy Keller said this, if you have money, power, and status today, it's largely due to A, the century and place in which you were born, and B, your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all your resources are in the end the gift from God. 
powerful stuff. And I believe it today. So here's some, some of our amazing farmers. So I'm in the heartland. I know where I'm at. I pastored in Rapid City. If you ever went to the Black Hills on the way up the highway, that beautiful church on the right, we spent about nine years of our life there in that town. And um, I have never been around so many farmers and growers uh, and people. My, my daughter just got the, the farming bug. She's got this amazing garden and, and learning from our ag program, learning from our soil scientists and our specialists. But these farmers growing more and better food, better seeds, uh, we're establishing the International Center for Food Insecurity in, in Springfield, Missouri, where we're simulating uh, growing in different climates and places. And so we're very excited about that. That opens in October. We'll be teaching farmers, you know, live stream, real life, and in person uh, how to grow more and better food. Why? Because we have a wait list right now of nearly 20 countries that want to want our resources and partnership, but we can't get to them. We have a, a waiting list of 10 countries where we could go in and feed the kids right now. We just don't have the capacity to do that right now. Here's some of the beautiful women and girls. And of course, I have a soft spot for our women's empowerment and girls' empowerment because uh, I'm a girl dad and now evidently a girl papa. I even have, we even have a female cockapoo. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know, but... Anyway, so this is Ethiopia. This woman right here, she's a graduate of our Women's Empowerment Program, one of 20,000 women. And uh, so excited because her husband died of AIDS. Uh, she's got two boys, two teenage boys that live in this hut with her. And uh, she is one of the graduates. Indira is her name. And I will tell you the difference that it's made in her life because they, they learn they raise their own money, they feed their own kids, and they have a little bit of posterity and dignity in the process. And so we're very grateful for that. Some of the atrocious stories that we've come across, of course, was during the pandemic, we intercepted a, a group of people in Central America who in order to cross this into another country, women and children were going into this uh, tent-like thing and uh, our team noticed and some of our staff noticed and we just said, you know, what's going on? What are they, what's going on? So they went over there and they realized that women were going into this tent and selling their hair and they were shaving their heads bald so that they could get some money to buy some food during the pandemic. Well, we said that God is not okay with that. And so we intercepted and, and started a community feeding center right across the street and so the women didn't have to sell their hair anymore, and it opened up doors for us to serve in that country for Convoy of Hope. Another entire Ukrainian family survived on a can of ketchup for five days, a number 10 can of ketchup. And the kids came, and they had red rings around their mouth. We said, you guys okay? And they said, yeah, we've just been eating ketchup for five days, and we would really like something good to eat. Story after story after story. Rwanda, Kigali City, a school of 900 kids well, during this the cycle of, of school, uh, boys and girls and their blended school, obviously, morning session, afternoon session. Well, every year at that, every year, every month, at that time of the month, the girls would miss a week of school. And upon returning to the school from their menstrual cycle being over, they were hazed and mocked 
in this community. So we intercepted and said, hey, we got an idea. We're going to put together these teenage girl dignity kits with all of the hygiene products and cool stuff that they would need. We do thousands of dignity kits right now in Africa, and not one girl misses one day of school. I thought I could at least get an amen on that one. Come on. Pro, where, where's my women here? Come on. Um, I will just tell you that these stats are your part of this. It provides us with, to give hope to children, adults, and families. 92 cents of every dollar goes directly to relief efforts. But here's the best number. It's not up there. Hundreds of thousands of people have been introduced to Jesus. And that's the most important thing we can do. Obviously, feed a person, fill a belly, preach the gospel, share the good news, save a soul. That's really, when it all boils down, you guys, that's what we do. There's a good story about a woman in Mark 14. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can just follow along with me. I'm not sure if we're going to have the scripture on the screen. Yes, no, maybe? No, good. Follow along in your Bibles, your phones, whatever. Turn them on, open them up. Mark 14, it's an amazing story, and I'm going to give you the highlights. But we're going to read the text because I think it's important to read and kind of capture. Um, so just a little context, this is the last week of Jesus' life, so last week was Thanksgiving, right? Or th Easter, where are we? It was Easter. It was the week before Jesus' life on earth is a big part of the gospel record, and of course, this occurred shortly before the Passover, and religious leaders were plotting to kill Jesus, okay? They wanted to kind of just kidnap him and kill him, and that's what this text reveals. And, uh, but Jesus was at a house after a big dinner, um, and this is what happens. Here's the story. So it says it was two days after the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and scribes, verse uh, 1, were seeking how to arrest him, Jesus, by stealth and kill him. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So they basically didn't want to make a scene. Verse 3, and he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, who he healed, as he was reclining at a table, Jesus is chilling. That's, that's what that says in the original language. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, just a really expensive bottle of perfume worth a year's wage. And she broke it and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Don't you love it when Jesus speaks? Starts protecting the right thing. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. You'll always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them like you're doing today. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So not only is it, does it get weirded out after this woman comes in with this beautiful act of worship, she basically gave the most costly things she knew just to bring worship and adoration to Jesus. And by the way, I've never heard a message on the fragrance that you leave, but it's a whole nother level of scent, church. Because your life should leave, should just like, does it always? No. Are we sinners? Yes. 
Do we blow it? Yes. But we model joy and life and fulfillment and surrendered living. So that leaves a fragrance wherever you go, from the auto parts store to Chick-fil-A, to the airport, to onboard the airplane. I don't even tell you about that story the other day. It's just like, wow, man, you really want to get tased and thrown off this plane, bro? You know, and I'm, I've tried to reason with this guy. I said, the cops are going to come for you if you don't move. So he finally moved. And I'm just trying to talk this guy out of getting arrested and tased. You know, American Airlines people. And I just thought, Lord, it's okay. So you just got to, it's tough to stay Christ-like. But when you understand that there's power tools yet to be plugged in, like one of the visions I had in Rapid City was it's like all these power tools on the floor. And I'm like, why is that? And the Lord's just saying, you got to plug into the power. And I'm like, okay, preach on the Holy Spirit then. And so I did. And we saw remarkable results in people's lives because it takes the Holy Spirit to get the job done. And the teaching of the word, all right? So, and by the way, compassion ministry takes the weird out of the gospel. When you show up and put up and serve and bring dignity and hope and life to people, the only thing they ask is, why are you doing this? Well, they say, because of Jesus. We just want to make him famous. And we love you. And we love people. Really? Why do you love me? My pastor used to say, evangelism is loving people until they ask you why. And I'm telling you, you guys have an amazing opportunity here. I'm a little bit jealous. When I walked onto this campus this morning going, God, you're doing something here. You're, you're reaching people. How many of you, Jesus has made a difference in your life? Can I see your show of hands? Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. If you're a non-Christian, it's still safe for you because you're, you'll have a chance to receive Jesus. But if you are a new Christian, I encourage you to lean in and press in to God's word and what he's doing here. But if you're one of these old, like, older guys that maybe, I got saved when I was 18. I won't tell you my story, but I had a Baptist youth group come over across the street where I was smoking my lunch every single day. And they would witness to all the stoners. And I used to just mock them and just thought, Man, these people, they got 20-pound Schofield Bibles under their arm, like, Poof. you could hurt someone with the Bible they were carrying, and they ministered to me, and they witnessed to me, and they told me that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, because that's what they were trained to say. Have you heard of the four spiritual laws? No. And so they left. Three months later, I have a powerful encounter with our creator, our redeemer, Jesus. And I meet up with these dudes at the college campus, uh, the junior college campus that we all went to in town, and I tracked them down in the hallway and literally had to run them down. They were avoiding me. And I walked right up to them. I'm like, Troy, Darren, Dave. Hey, Anderson, what's up? I'm like, I just want you guys to know I got saved this summer. It actually worked. They're like, oh, 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 praise God, we think, you know. They're giving me hugs and stuff, and I'm like, seriously, you guys, you shared Jesus with me, and I got saved. And that's the way it worked, and that I've never looked back. So here's the interesting part of this story. Uh, number one, I'm going to give all I can give. This 
was Mary's attitude as she broke this bottle of pure and expensive perfume. Do you know people like this? They're just, they give you the shirt off their back. They show up, they put up, they serve, they help. Uh, this was a gift that cost her something. By the way, it cost us all something. Um, as we serve Jesus, as we give, as we prioritize our life in the faith, as we tithe, as we give to missions, as we give to kingdom builders, this bottle of perfume was worth at least a year's wage, according to verse 5. Her attitude was, I'm going to give all I can, the best I can give. Not, I'm going to give the bare minimum, or, hey, I'm going to act like I'm giving and simulate giving, but I'm really not going to give because I just don't have the faith to do that. Well, this was God's attitude toward us. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave the best to us. So do you know people like Mary, generous givers? They give you the shirt off their back. What motivates them to give all they can? Well, they love Jesus. They love people. They love helping others. They're selfless, unselfish. And when individuals give unselfishly as she did, their giving has a positive effect on others around them. Whole nother level of S-C-E-N-T, church, sent church. So you're the sent church, but the C in sent is Christ. And so whenever you live and you walk out your faith, it's like, what is your life giving off? It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Your one-day offering is going to change the game for families and kids. Places that you won't go, people you'll probably not meet. Individuals with this kind of attitude look for opportunities to give and don't consider giving generously a sacrifice, but a blessing and a privilege. So I was in Montana um, I was in between two services and, um, this little girl, I'm talking to this couple down front and this little girl busts in the back and she just runs down the aisle. She's got a little envelope in her hand and she doesn't even stop. Like I'm standing here talking here and she just runs by and I just went, boop, grabbed it and she just took off all the way in the back and, and I'm holding it and I see her. She goes, that's my pledge. My parents are going to pay it. And she just ran out. I'm talking to her parents. And I, I just had this little pledge card. She pledged 10 bucks to feed one of our kids for a month through Feed One. And because the kids did uh, a thing down there. And I'm just like, she had a lot of faith because she declared they are my source and they are going to pay my bill. And, and, I, and the mom goes, oh, she's doing chores, you know, like she's telling me how they're going to pay, how she's going to teach the kid to have a heart for missions. I think you're going to be blown away when you realize the connection between prayers and giving and the population of heaven. So obviously, this was the one attitude in the room that we want to imitate, but here's the second attitude. And it's not the one. I'm going to keep all I can keep. So this was the attitude of others who watched what was happening in the room. Jesus is kicking back, disciples, Simon the leper, Mary breaks the bottle of ointment, fills the room, act of worship, beautiful, all kinds of things going on. Well, Mark doesn't identify by name those who felt this way, like it was a bad idea, but the gospel writer does identify who it is, and it was Judas. The bean counter, John 12, 4 through 6. It was Judas who called out 
this nonsensical, crazy, extravagant act of giving to Jesus from a very poor woman, I might add. Their attitude is motivated by their own personal agenda. Do you know people like this? What motivates them? Why do they hoard and not give? Maybe they've never personally experienced the power of generosity and giving. And this is a moment when we can trust God for this. But Jesus told a powerful story to warn his followers about the dangers of greed. In Luke 12, the quickest way to spiritual and financial disaster is to keep everything for yourself. And uh, one of my pastors used to say, he said, money is like manure. You stack it up, it stinks. You spread it around, it helps things grow. So he was a little farm boy that ended up, and he was, he, from Iowa, who ended up in California. When God raises your standard of living, he also should raise your standard of giving. To whom much is given, much is required. Well, in this spirit of I'm going to keep all I can keep, so this guy named Jim, he was a contractor, and he, for many years, worked for a very successful custom home building outfit. And one day the owner said, Jim, I'm going to put you in charge of the next house. Uh, I want you to order all the materials, oversee the job from the ground up. He accepts the assignment. And as he studies the blueprints and checks all the specs and measurements, he had thought, hey, if I'm in charge, and I am, he said, why couldn't I cut a few corners, use less expensive materials, put some extra money in my pocket? So who knew? Who's going to know the difference? So once the house is finished, it's going to look great. So Jim carries out his scheme. He orders second-grade lumber, but his reports indicate top-grade. He cut every corner he could in the house infrastructure, concrete, electricity, plumbing, drywall, etc. Yet he reports the purchase of much better materials and indicates he had done certain work in which, in fact, he had not done. So the home's completed. He shows it with pride to the boss man who enthusiastically replies, Jim, what a great job you've done. You've been a good and faithful employee for many, many years, and your work has earned me a ton of money for my company. So, Jim, as a thank you for your years of service, I am going to give you the house that you just built. What kind of house are you building? Are you building a house of generosity? Are you building a house of, like, hey, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, it's like, it's all about me. Or are you going to say, God, my house is going to be known as a house of generosity. And it doesn't pay to cut corners when it comes to generosity with Jesus. It doesn't pay to cut corners when the church has a work day and I'd rather go fishing or wake surfing or boating. And I got to go do work day before I go jump on my boat. Because I'm doing that this Saturday. You're doing that this Saturday. <laughs> and I just thought, Lord... I want to live in the house that I build, but what kind of house am I building? Is it defined by selfishness or building a house of generosity? On and on it goes. And here's the third big idea. So give all you can give. You can keep all you can keep. But here's what's cool for the Christian. Here's what's cool for the kingdom building Christian. You get to keep all you give. Look at this verse. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Matthew 6, 20. So I've done a lot of funerals in my day. A lot of weddings, a lot of baby dedications. Don't think I'm weird, but I really like funerals. Because 
especially you're talking about, I just buried my dad. He was 97 and a half years old. He had an amazing life in September. And my dad, like three days before he died, he just turned over at me in the little care home. And he goes, he goes, all the cornerstones of my life are set, son. Whatever happens from this moment on is on you. And he rolled over and went back to sleep. And I'm like, oh, no, you're not going to die. And I just, I shook him and I said, Dad, do you remember what you just said? He goes, not really. (laughs) It was in that moment that I realized I am the next generation and it's on me. I'm responsible to reach my generation. You're responsible to reach your generation. You will capture the hearts and minds and attention of this, of Black Hawk County and Cedar Falls and Waterloo because of your love for Jesus and your intimacy for Jesus. Not how hot and great everything gets, although I believe it's pretty amazing. We can't take our money with us, but we can send it on ahead. God promises to bless those who give joyfully and generously. And so you guys are preparing to do an amazing offering. I believe your kingdom impact with your offering is going to be remarkable. So you're helping feed lots of kids and serve a lot of people that need help in Jesus' name. Check out the story about the impact of one day in a community in the Philippines. Her name is Kate. Sometimes I go to bed, I have no food in my stomach. If I don't have enough food, I, I can't concentrate in my studying and I can't understand what my teacher was saying to me. that they give to us will will not be will not be wasted. I'm turning 16 at this November. I'm in college. I'm taking up hotel and restaurant services. By God's grace, um, we have our food now. I'm so grateful and I will be forever grateful that Convoy of Hope is um, as a sponsor of our church for me to continue my study and have my meal. Sometimes before, I'm thinking that we're the, the most <laughs> poor people in the world, but as I'm uh, looking around uh, here at our community, I saw a lot of people, they were more poor than us. Studying hard now um, for my future, and someday I promise to myself that I'm going to help them. Help, help my community here, our community and our church. That and I will, 
I'll someday become the sponsor of our church. <laughs> like you guys. So thankful. <laughs> So Luke 14 says, Jesus gave this instruction. When you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so your one day is that first sign to say, God, we're going to do something together. What a big win for the church, for your kingdom builders. Again, you know, Convoy's honored to be part of the strategic mission and compassion plan of kingdom builders here at your church. More people are going to go from hopelessness to hope and meeting physical needs and then addressing their spiritual needs in their life. And that's what Convoy is going to do. By the way, uh, many... Or orgs have become agencies of social reform at the exclusion of proclaiming the gospel, but at Convoy, keeping Jesus at the center of our work is a top priority. So we're never going to change that, ever. We're always going to make Jesus famous. Because that's ultimately what we're all supposed to be doing anyway, is glorifying God and, and making him famous and enjoying God forever. Well, that's part of it. So today I just want to take a moment to set up a prayer time. Many of you have given, many of you will give today, and I want to say thank you. Um, what's cool is 100% of your one-day funds obviously go to all of these programs, and then, of course, 92 cents of every dollar go to program. We have an 8% admin fee, which is one of the lowest in the world, and I'm so thankful uh, for that at Convoy. I was reminded when I walked onto the property today, and this really isn't in the notes, but I just, I was thinking of Zacchaeus and the group that prayed this morning. You know what's cool about Jesus is, there's a lot of cool things about Jesus, but he was walking along and he addressed the loneliness of Zacchaeus before he addressed his lostness. And could it be that God is going to take compassion ministries and kindness and kingdom builders and missions through sent church to build bridges and to give people space and community and an opportunity every single time you gather to say yes to Jesus. So Jesus is rolling along and he goes, like Zacchaeus is despised. They hate his guts. This whole community. He's like, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Get on down from up there. Let's go. Like, you know what my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is the crowd. It says the people saw this and muttered, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. One of them. Dinner with a sinner. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus that you serve. That's the Jesus that I serve. Who are we to judge anyone 
at this point, when the creator, God, redeemer, our friend, is strolling down the path and goes, dinner at your house. It's the ultimate compliment for you to invite yourself to dinner in that culture. It's reverse here. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. So if you're here today, you say, I just need to get back on track with God, or I need to accept this Jesus, or I just need God's heart for the world, because man, my heart's callous. Post-COVID rawness has turned to callousness. And we just need a reset maybe with the heart of God for the world that we live in right now. Maybe that's you. Would you bow your heads? And um, we're gonna land this in just a moment. Pastor's gonna come, gonna wrap it all up. But I just felt like in, in this moment, your partnership's gonna make a difference. Your offering, your prayers, your love for the rest of the world is gonna make a difference. But I think today, I just acknowledge the overwhelming sense of the presence of God in this place. And if you're a Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. If you're a non-Christian, this might be as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And I don't want you just to get close to heaven or be around Christian things or Christian ease or even a community, but it's your heart today, your heart. Where is your heart today? Would you let God reshape and transform and clean up and help you today? He's here, he's willing, he's ready. Thank you, Sent Church, for being part of one day, for trusting convoy and thank you for responding to this word today lord bless this church you already are keep blessing it give them wisdom god i thank you today that may our lives be not only living as sent people but lord we leave that that fragrance everywhere we go in this community we love you jesus we thank you for it in your name amen